Well, we are wrapping up our series today, Some Assembly Required. And so the question on the table today is grapes or golf balls? So that's what we're going to ask today as we wrap up this series, Some Assembly Required. Well, some of you knew, uh, some of you know that I grew up in Pennsylvania. And so I was born in Pittsburgh. My dad moved us over to Central PA. We we're about, about 10 minutes from the Mason-Dixon line. And we lived on a farm and most of our farm was wooded. And so part of growing up in the woods and growing up on a farm is we did a lot of hunting. We did a hide and seek in the woods and we did a lot of paintball. So growing up, we had our friends together and we played a lot of paintball. But when you play the game, you find yourselves going deeper and deeper into the woods. And so one of the things I learned from my dad is he said, look, wherever you go, make sure you find north because that's where the farmhouse is. So my dad taught us how to use a compass and all that stuff. But before that, and we got lost in the woods a couple of times. And look, when you're a kid, when you're eight, nine, ten, those trees look really big. They look really tall and it caused a lot of anxiety. Now, we don't use a lot of compasses today, but we use a GPS. Some you have it on your phone. Others of us, we have it in our vehicles. When those things work, they work really good. But when they don't work, it can cause a lot of panic. I mean, have you ever been there? Without your GPS, your anxiety might ramp up. You feel lost and life feels sort of out of control. A GPS, what it does is it brings peace and clarity. So I want to think about that sort of mindset with the GPS when it comes to gathering together. Okay. So there's no secret that before the pandemic, people attended church less and less. So for our church, average attendance was once to twice a month, one to two times a month. Now, after the pandemic, we only have about 50% of our church back in the building. Again, most of you guys are still watching online, uh, interacting, which is great. However, we're not the only church to face this. I sat down this past week with our friends uh, through the North Point Network. And so um, all, uh, most of the guys in Virginia, we all got together in Richmond. And we sort of just, how are things going? And most of our churches, we have 50% back. Uh, giving is a bit down. And we can't find volunteers to work in, in, in most of the children environments. It's across the board. So our friend, Carrie Newoff, he put a list together of reasons why people exited the local church and have exited church. Even those who are really committed, these are the reasons. One, moral failure of the leaders. Two, way too political. Three, unable to be honest with doubt and questions. Four, focus is no longer on God. And then, unable to find friends or unable to find community. So from the conversations with those closest to me, I would completely agree with that list. Here are things that people have actually said to me. Like These are the things that have come out of their mouth. Okay, I need to go to a church where they take a stand on the election. I've heard someone tell me this. I can't go to a church with people who think differently than me on political issues. I've heard someone tell me, my anxiety ramps up in crowds, so I just listen to you every week on my way to work. I've heard someone tell me, I'd rather just have the message and no singing, so until then, I'll just come late. I've heard someone tell me, the Bible doesn't say that I can't worship Jesus by myself with my family. And then I've also heard someone tell me, <laughs> this is a good one, there is no one of the opposite sex 
my age and I really want to get married. And by the way, that person ended up getting married. They found a different type of church and they found someone and they're, I guess, happily married. Look, this has just been an observation. But the but those who are less and less in community seem to have more and more chaos in their life. Now, I'm not, please hear me. I'm not saying that you go to church, that's your cure-all. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying, the more, this is an observation, the more time and more opportunity we give ourselves to be in front of God's word, whether at church on Sunday or whether in a community group through the week, we have a more, we have a more of a chance to get things right. Because we're following God's word. Does that make sense? So I've seen people, there, there could have been things in their life, like decisions they made that could have been prevented if they had been in front of God's word, if they had someone else speak into their life. And here's what I've learned. Being next to someone is different than being connected to someone. Being next to someone is different than being connected to someone. If for those who had a really bad breakup before, maybe you're, you're divorced, you would agree with that. I believe that you would agree with that. Being next to someone or, or doesn't mean that you're connected to that person. So I believe the people who have more and more chaos in their life because of things that may be self-inflicted, I believe that they have been their own GPS they have trusted themselves to make isolated decisions or they're listening to people who don't have God's word at the center of their lives and they're just sort of following blindly. I know for me, I have a tendency to change my mind constantly or maybe I make a decision based on how I feel, which is never good. When we tell our kids not to do that, it's just never a good thing, but we as adults find ourselves, we change our mind constantly, we make decisions based on feelings. Like some of us, man, we'd rather be sleeping in on a Sunday morning instead of going to church. Or others of us, we, we would have quit our job because something may not go our way. We, we'll just quit. So instead of being our own GPS, it's really important that we need God's word. We need God's word. One of the values of our church is biblical authority. So if you go to our website and it says beliefs, you'll see that one of our convictions or one of the things that we really believe in is biblical authority. And it answers the question, are your priorities consistent with the Bible? Are your priorities consistent with the Bible? And God tells us what right is right and what's wrong is wrong. He's very clear about that. We believe that God is good. And because God is good, his word is good. And because God is good and his word is good, it can be trusted. And not only do we need God's word, but we need each other in this life. Man, life is already complicated. Having other people to come alongside and celebrate the highs and those to support us in the lows makes things less complicated. We've had people in our church who've lost parents. And I know for, for, for my family, as we've lost, I lost my in-laws a couple years ago, man, our church rallied behind my wife and myself. Like, there were things that we never expected, but it allowed that situation to become less complicated. Man, people, we need them in our lives. Man, we're better with other people, teachers, coaches, counselors, friends, family, spouse. People are able to see the things that we cannot see. 
Uh, I asked someone the other day, uh, I called Tim. We, we had something to come up with our civil engineer, and so Tim is on our finance team, and so <laughs> I, I didn't know what to do. Like, I'm not used to these government contracts and, and contracts with these big guys. I, I don't know that stuff. So I called Tim, and I said, Tim, man, this is a situation. What do you think? And Tim was like, I think this is how we need to do it. I think this is how you need to handle the situation. And thankfully, I was able to follow it, and it seems to be going okay. Guys, life was not meant to be done alone. If it, if it was, God would not have created Eve for Adam, and then he wouldn't have told Adam and Eve to have more kids. Life was meant to be done together. Remember, being next to someone is different than being connected to someone. So we're not the only ones to be on the struggle bus with gathering together. And the people who lived 25 and 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus were on the struggle bus too. And so we're going to read a letter from the author of Hebrews, and he's writing to encourage people to get back meeting together. We don't know why people started stopped meeting back then, but they stopped. And he was like, look, you got to get back to meeting together. This is what's so mind-numbing to me, mind-blowing to me. There are still witnesses of the resurrection of the resurrected Jesus alive 25, 30 years after the resurrection. They were attending local churches. Like if I know, if I was around back then, I would be so eager to go to a church with someone who saw a resurrect who saw the resurrected Jesus. Like, I would want to go. I wouldn't want to learn from them. I want to hear everything they would have to say. Like, it would motivate me to, sh- to show up. But it wasn't happening. And so this is what the author of Hebrews writes. He says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. The phrase hold tightly literally means to white knuckle, to, 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 to keep yourself in place, to hold something tightly. I love, growing up, I love roller coasters. Um, every summer, I would go to King's Dominion um, with, with one of my family members. I will tell you this, I'm getting older. And look, I played football, I can take a hit. But man, I cannot, my body cannot take a roller coaster. So uh, my cousins, who are about 20 years younger than me, they said, hey, come on down, bring Brooke down to King's Dominion. We got this, this pass, we got you tickets, come on down. And so I went down and they were like, we want you to ride the Intimidator. I'm thinking, okay, you know, I've got this. And so we sort of walked to it, and we saw it. I'm like, okay, I've got this. All right, I'm, I'm going to get on the Intimidator. If you don't know what I'm talking about, feel free to Google it. And so I'm standing in line, and it was a very quick day. Like, there was not many people there. And so we finally got up to the line, and people were getting off, and they're like, this is great. This is awesome. I'm going to do this again. So I'm thinking, okay, I've got this. This is going to be fun. This is going to be a blast. So I get in, and then they put the harness over me. I'm thinking, this is, <laughs> this is what's going to restrain me? And so, man, we take off. And, man, I'm holding on for dear life. And then we get off, and Addie looks at me. And she's like, how was it? I was like, we survived. What I didn't know was that they take pictures of people who are on the roller coaster. So we get down, and there's a picture of me. Literally, my eyes are closed. Addie looks at me, and she says, Did you pass out? I said, Addie. So you know what I do for a living, right? She said, Yeah. I said, Listen, I was praying. Truth is, I blacked out. 
I blacked out. I can't believe it. Listen, the author is telling us, man, we need to white knuckle what? The hope we affirm. What's the hope? The hope is that Jesus is coming back to renew all things, to set and make all things right. Okay? Then he says, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Remember, he's writing to a Jewish audience. He's like, look, we want to white knuckle the hope, the promise that Jesus is coming back. Why can we believe it? Because God delivered on the first promise that he was coming, and he delivered. And then he promised that he's coming again, he's going to deliver on that. You know why we can look to the future? is because of what's happened in the past. Look, when we gather together, man, we are holding onto this hope together that, yes, one day he's making all things new. And by us gathering together, it's as if we're renewing our commitment to God and being reminded of his commitment to us that he hasn't, he hasn't forgotten about us. He says, let us think of ways to motivate one another of acts to, to acts of love and good works. The word motivate, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, it means to spur. It also means to stir up and to disagree. Look, all of us are different. We have different stories, interests, perspectives, opinions, personalities, gifts, talents, and abilities. You're different, I'm different. That's what makes our church better. Like if everyone's the same, they think the same, they say the same thing, they act the same, they dress the same, probably a cult. Look, we may disagree on preferences, but one thing that we ask from everybody that attends our church and wants to belong to our church is this, that we must be on agreement with our mission. Our mission is to inspire people to follow Jesus by engaging them in the life and mission of our church. Instead of being like this bucket of golf balls, so I can take one, the other one does not come. They're all separated. They're touching each other, but they're not connected. Instead, we need to be more like this cluster of grapes. Think about it. Every grape is different. One does not look like the other, but yet they're all connected to the same vine, which would be, in our case, Jesus. So in John 15, Jesus says, man, I'm the vine, you guys are branches. Let's think about this for a second. The thing that connects all of us together is Jesus. We may have different personalities, different temperaments, different backgrounds, but the things that bring us together is Jesus. And when it comes to our church, the thing that brings us all together isn't just that we're all about following Jesus, but we're following his mission together. That's what keeps us connected. Look, have you ever disagreed with someone? And when you disagree, kind of going back to the root of the word, you have a tendency to yell, right? You have a tendency to raise your voice. You're passionate about whatever you're talking about. Your sports team, masks, no masks, vaccines, no vaccines, whatever the case may be. You're excited. You get passionate about what you believe. What he's saying is, look, we want you to get passionate about gathering together. We want you to be passionate about the things that really matters, and that's a relationship with Christ. That's what matters. See, instead of driving us to comparison, our differences ought to drive us to community. Look, man, we encourage each other by serving one another regardless of our political affiliation, our background, our interests, our opinions. Look, when I'm being served, I'm looking for those who I can also serve. So gathering together is going to be more like one of those old country church potlucks than a drive-through. All right, what am I looking at bringing instead of what am I looking at taking? Make sense? 
Okay. He says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. The word neglect means not just to quit, which implies that you're just affecting yourself. No, abandoning means that you're actually affecting other people, that there's people who are collateral damage because you walk away from them. He says, look, I don't want you to abandon meeting together as some people do. Again, we don't know why. Maybe persecution became a reason to abandon. But he says, but encourage one another, especially now the day of his return is drawing near. The word encourage means to invite. We're inviting people. Hey, I'll see you on Sunday. Hey, I'll see you at group. Hey, come on. Let, let's, let's go to church. Because one day, I don't want you guys to miss this. We're not going to need each other the way we do now. Because when Jesus comes back, he's making all things new. No more tragedies. No more COVID. No more cancer. No more diabetes. No more burying kids. No more burying our parents. No salvations. And also no baptism. Listen, until then, until that day, we need each other. So how do, we, how do we wrap this up and make this super practical? What does it look like to effectively gather together? So Paul, who I would argue wrote Hebrews, he also writes another letter, and he says this, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. So there's four things that you and I can do when we gather together. This is effective gathering together. Number one, we consume. We need to have our lives filled. Filled with what? Filled with the gospel. He says the message about Christ, the life, death, resurrection, the coming of Jesus. Because things in life will promise to satisfy us, but the only thing that can truly satisfy you is the gospel. It's the message of Christ. It's the only thing that will satisfy you. And so when we're filled with that, it produces wisdom. We're filled with his word. We're filled with wisdom to do the following two things. Teach and counsel. A way we could say it is contribute and counsel. There are times where I need to contribute. Jesus modeled serving. Okay? When I'm serving with other people, when we're serving together, I'm able to learn from them and they're able to learn from me. Counsel each other. There's moments, man, where I need to vent and other times there's opportunity for me to share what I learned so that someone else doesn't have to pay the same tuition that I paid. And then finally, we celebrate. Consume, contribute, counsel, and celebrate. We celebrate the resurrection every Sunday we gather because it's a reminder that it's the day that Jesus conquered our sin, death, and hell. He's making all things new. He is starting to make all things new with making you new, with making me new. Man, Sunday is when we're reminded that it's the restart, reset to our week. We're able to respond with thankfulness as we think about what he's done for us and what he will do for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to learn that being next to someone does not mean that we are connected And so, Father, thank you for reminding us the thing that connects us together is Jesus, and that he's the vine. Father, thank you so much. 
no matter how different we are, the personalities, the temperaments, what brings us together is Jesus, and we're so thankful for that. We're so thankful for that. And so, Father, for those who are maybe investigating Jesus, they're listening to this because someone told them to listen, I'm just asking that you will open up their heart, that they would receive Jesus. Life is not going well for them because they've been their own GPS. And so, Father, I'm asking that you show them that life could be a lot different with your word as the GPS. Father, for others of us who are followers, who are Christians, man, we have blown it at times where we've traded trusting ourselves over trusting your word. So, Father, forgive us, but also help us to inspire one another to dive back into your word because that's, that's where we know is the source of wisdom. So, Father, help us. In Jesus' name, amen.